First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. Good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. Before I read, I want to begin with a question. What individual has had the biggest impact on your Christian life? Or maybe I'll phrase it a little different. Can you think of anybody, someone who's a Christian, who you'd consider a role model in your life? My wife and I moved back from California nearly three years ago, moved back to Melbourne. And in California, there was a man in his mid-50s who happened to be an elder at our local church, and his name was Dan. I watched the way Dan treated his wife. I watched the way Dan imparted wisdom to his three sons. I watched the way Dan joyfully served the church. I watched Dan generously give to others. I watched Dan evangelize the lost. I watched Dan go through trials in his life. Point is, Dan was for me a Christian role model. I remember thinking, when I'm in my 50s, I want to be like Dan. Now, as a Christian, the Lord Jesus Christ is our ultimate role model. We are to pattern our lives after him and his teachings. That goes without saying. For the Christian, the Lord Jesus is the supreme model to follow. But with that said, it is also good and helpful for us to have model Christians to imitate as well. You know, that's a biblical principle. The author of Hebrews records for us in Hebrews 13, 7, he says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. You know, the author of Hebrews was informing us that it's good and right to imitate those who are worthy of imitating. The Apostle Paul echoes this same idea in 1 Corinthians when he instructs those in Corinth. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. I bring this to your attention because in our ongoing study of this book of Philippians, we are introduced this morning to a few good men. We will encounter two men who are for us role models in the faith. They are model Christians worthy of imitating. They are men who have been radically transformed by God's saving grace in Christ. Hopefully by now you found your way to Philippians 2. I'll be reading from the ESV. ESV. Please follow along as I read aloud. Philippians 2, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be generally concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it goes will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. 
So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this text this morning. We thank you for the perfect model we have in your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We also thank you for those people you've placed in our lives who show us Christ, who teach us Christ by their actions and attitude. It's my prayer this morning that there are those out there who are, are faithfully serving you with all their heart, that they'd be encouraged to press on even more. Father, we pray for those out there who maybe find themselves on the sidelines, so to speak. I pray that your spirit would convict them to get in the game. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Now, we've been studying this wonderful letter for a few months now. And as we come to this section in the epistle, we really find ourselves somewhat looking at a travel itinerary, the travel itinerary of two men. And on the surface, it can seem somewhat disconnected from the rest of the chapter 2. But if you really take a step back, there really is a beautiful connection here. We've seen in the previous weeks that Paul's concerned with the unity in the church. And he teaches them that the, the pathway to unity, true unity, is through humility. He then provides for us the greatest example of humility he can provide, and that is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. It was Jesus who humbled himself and became obediently, uh, completely obedient to the Father, even to the point of death, for the benefit of others. And now we're introduced to Timothy and Epaphroditus, two humble men who give their lives to serve others as an outflow of their love for God. They are, for us, living illustrations of the instructions Paul has given. They are men who put to practice Paul's precepts. And as we walk through these uh, verses, these 12 verses, I want to highlight this morning four attributes of both Timothy and Epaphroditus that are worthy of our attention. But before we get to those particular attributes, let me set the stage starting in verse 19. Look there with me. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Paul loves this church. He loves this Philippian church. In fact, in chapter 4, verse 1, he even says that he loves them and longs for them. He states that plainly. Uh, if Paul had his way, his bags would already be packed and on his way to Philippi. However, remember Paul's situation. He sits in a Roman prison cell. At the present time, he's unable to go visit these people. So what does he do? He wants to send his own spiritual clone. He's going to send in a man who's in a class of his own. He wants to send his very best. That gives you some indication of how much Paul cares for these people. He writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy. Paul wants to send his spiritual son, Timothy. But please don't miss how Paul slips in that little phrase, he hopes in the Lord Jesus. Paul could have said, I hope to send Timothy to you soon, and no one would have blinked. But instead, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus. Point is, Paul believes in the sovereignty of God. He knows and believes that Jesus is Lord over all things. It is as if Paul is saying, I'm hoping, I'm making plans to send Timothy, but it's really if the Lord wills it or not. For Paul, it doesn't matter if, if he's in prison or if he's free, if he's sick or if he's well. He sees everything through the lens of the Lord's will for his life. Paul's doctrine taught him that a sovereign God rules all things, and he accepts without question what God ordains. Thus, if the Lord 
wills, he will send Timothy soon. So you may be thinking, why soon? What's the holdup? We're not given the exact details, but according to verse 23, apparently Paul needs Timothy just a while longer. He will send Timothy once he finds out the verdict of his own trial. Although Paul doesn't provide the specific details of why Timothy can't come just now, he does provide us the purpose for sending Timothy. He writes, so that I may be cheered by news of you. It's interesting, Paul has such a positive outlook. He's optimistic about what the Lord is doing in Philippi. He's expecting back from Timothy a good report, say a mission report. It's great to see a, a glimpse of Paul's heart while he's in prison. His optimistic spirit, despite his circumstances, encourages me. I hope it encourages you as well. Now we come to verse 20, and it's here where Paul begins to provide somewhat of a biographical sketch of young Timothy. Paul gives the church multiple reasons why they should accept Timothy. In verse 20, he writes, For I have no one like him who will be generally concerned for your welfare. Paul had no one else like Timothy. It's not as if Timothy was the only Christian in Rome. There were many other Christians in Rome at the time. So what was so exceptional about Timothy? I believe Paul's referring to Timothy's uniqueness to carry out this particular task. In other words, Paul had no one else who was better suited for the task. Paul knew that when he sent Timothy somewhere, Timothy would not drop the ball. He would pick up right where Paul left off. Timothy would put the interest of others over his own. And according to Paul, there was just no one like Timothy. Timothy was special. Paul informs us that Timothy will be generally concerned for their welfare. And this brings us to our first attribute this morning of Timothy worthy of imitating. Timothy had authentic concern. Timothy was, was generally concerned for those in the church. Timothy was tender and sympathetic towards the needs of, of other believers. There was nothing forced or artificial about Timothy's concern for people. You know, Timothy did not serve for the wrong reasons. He did not serve to get recognized or receive an award. He did not serve others in order to feel good about himself. He did not uh, do his deed at the church and serve in order so that he could put a check in the box. No, according to Paul, Timothy was authentic. He was genuine. He was the type of individual who served with the proper motives. Ultimately, he cared for other people's welfare more than himself. He illustrated exactly what Paul taught in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, where he put others as more significant than himself. Friends, I think it's good for us to pause for a moment here and learn from Timothy. We need to evaluate our own motives. First question ought to be, are we even serving anywhere or anyone in the church? Or do we, church, or do we treat the church as a place to go to where we, we can be served ourselves? Do we merely come to church to get something from it? Or do we come with the mindset of what we can do for others? The next question we need to ask, if we are serving, what are our motives like? Are they genuine? Are we serving for the wrong reason? Really, it would be beneficial for all of us to reflect on these questions. In verse 21, Paul highlights Timothy's second attribute worthy of imitating. Paul writes, for they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. Number two, Timothy had exclusive devotion. Timothy was not a double-minded man. Rather, he was a single-minded man. Generally speaking, Paul states that the average Christian in Rome was more concerned with their own personal desires than those of Christ. Notice in verse 20, 
Paul had said Timothy was concerned for the church's welfare. And now in verse 21, he says Timothy seeks after the interest of Jesus Christ. Think about that. What that means is serving Christ involves serving others. Serving the church flows from our love for others and Jesus' glory, not our own selfish agenda. The implication here is that Timothy is consumed, totally consumed with the interest of Christ. It's sad that there was no, other, no others in Rome like Timothy. Timothy was, so, was sold out for Christ, so to speak. He had no other competing interest in his life. Timothy put Christ first and foremost. I think if we're honest with ourselves this morning, we'll admit it's easy to put other things first in our life. We could put our family there, our job, our success, maybe even it's your possessions. In a society that offers so many distractions, I believe this is a real struggle for the majority of us. We have double desires. We often face with decisions, should we do this or that? And many times we make decisions that cause us to miss the opportunities to serve or to opportunities to do things that matter the most. Oftentimes these so-called harmless or even good activities we participate in hinder us from serving the Lord at full capacity. We are allow ourselves to get so busy that we have little time or energy left to serve the Lord. I truly believe it would benefit each and every one of us, again, to spend time in prayer today, asking God to reveal the desires in us that are not from him. In verse 22, Paul will give us yet another attribute of Timothy to chew on. This is the third attribute worthy of imitating. He says, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. Timothy had a dependable reputation. Timothy was proven. It's to say Timothy was a seasoned believer. The Philippian believers had known Timothy from the time the church was planted. He was there with Paul. And he had done nothing to call his character in question. Having a dependable reputation is extremely important to Paul. Elsewhere in the New Testament, when Paul writes to Timothy, he provides instructions for how to, church, how to choose church leaders, elders and deacons. And as he writes that, he says, this is the type of person you should choose. They must not be a recent convert. He must be well thought of by outsiders. And let him be tested first, and then let him serve if he proves himself blameless. It's safe to say that a dependable reputation was critical to Paul. And that's something that Timothy possessed. I'm going to ask a lot of questions this morning. I hope you like questions. But could that be said, said of you? What is your reputation like in the community? Are you one kind of person when you walk in the doors of the church, but a totally different person when you walk outside the doors of the church? Is your life marked by consistency or hypocrisy? Would those at work say the same things about you as those in your Sunday school class? Like Timothy, we need to be people with a consistent reputation. We need to be dependable. When asked to serve, do you follow through? Are you one of those ones who eagerly sign up but don't show up? Do you often start serving here or anywhere but then soon fall away? Friends, we need to be like Timothy. We need to be proven we need to be dependable. In that same verse, Paul highlights for us our fourth and final attribute of young Timothy, worthy of our consideration. Paul writes, as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. 
Timothy was a submissive servant. He was a fellow servant to Paul who understood his role in ministry. Timothy's attitude was, was that of a child serving alongside his loving father. Timothy showed beautiful submission to Paul. But I do want to point out, it's not, it's not as if Paul was some kind of demanding dictator toward Timothy. I love how Paul uses the word here, with. Paul could have said, as a son with the father, he served me. But he didn't do that. And that would have been fine. But he said, with me. The relationship was one of co-service. From Paul's perspective, as a spiritual father, they were serving the Lord together side by side. From Timothy's perspective, as a spiritual son, he loved learning and serving alongside his spiritual father. I think it's important here, though, to stop and make this practical to each and every one of us. We all need to be involved in discipleship. That's a big part of this church. I, I love that about this church. And maybe you're here and you're a Timothy and you need to reach out to a Paul who can come alongside you and help you grow in your walk. Or maybe you're here and you're a Paul, a seasoned believer, and you need to look around you and find a young Timothy that you can encourage and help grow in the faith. You know, it's great to hear when my wife told me what the women's ministry is doing here, what they put in place. They're actually looking to implement this very principle. I hope you ladies have taken advantage of the opportunity to be discipled or be a discipler. Paul closes this section on Timothy by letting those in Philippi know he hopes to come soon as well. Look at verses 23 and 24 with me. He writes, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it goes with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Even in these verses, you can sense Timothy's submissive spirit. Paul says, go, he goes. Come, he comes. Stay, he stays. Wait, he waits. Timothy's never really worried about his own agenda. For the moment, Timothy's being asked to stay. But there's another man that Paul's going to send immediately. And that's a man they know very well. And his name is Epaphroditus. Like Timothy, Epaphroditus is worthy of our consideration to imitate. And in many ways, Epaphroditus is a really good example for all of us because he's relatable. You're saying, what do you mean? He's just a layman in the church. Sometimes it can be hard to think about imitating Paul. You know, Paul was an apostle. It's, it's a daunting task. How could I ever do that? Or even we turn to Timothy and think, oh, Timothy was so gifted. I mean, he spent 10 years with Paul, and he was such a great teacher. I could never imitate Timothy. But I think we can relate to Epaphroditus. He's just like you and I. He wasn't the pastor of the church. He wasn't the assistant pastor. He was just your average Joe church member. And in verse 25, Paul writes, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. You see, Epaphroditus was originally sent from Philippi to minister to Paul while he was in prison. But now Paul wants to send him back. Paul's going to explain why he wants to send him home coming in the next few verses. And as he does, he'll provide for us four attributes we should look to cultivate from Epaphroditus. Look at verse 25. We encounter Epaphroditus' first attribute to, to imitate. He was a true companion. Paul calls him my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier. When Paul uses the term my brother, he's obviously not speaking about his physical brother. He's speaking about his spiritual brother. They were spiritual brothers together because they both were in God's family. 
Paul could have said, I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, your messenger and minister to my need, which would have been fine. But that would have negated the closeness that Paul felt toward him. These two men shared a very common bond. They were true companions. Paul calls him a fellow worker. Paul saw Epaphroditus as a co-worker, a co-laborer. Like Epaphroditus, I mean, sorry, like Paul, Epaphroditus was concerned with serving God for the advancement of the gospel. He was not a lazy man. He labored hard in the ministry. He was a hard worker. He was not a, a, a bystander or a standby. He was getting his hands dirty. He was not a spectator. He was a participant. Remember, he's just a layman in the church, but a very busy layman. Paul describes him as a fellow soldier. Paul knew firsthand that ministry is tough and at times can be very dangerous. He knew that they were fighting a spiritual battle. There was spiritual work they were doing was, was like, was serious. More serious than the Monday, day-to-day, mundane, day-to-day labor. Paul recognized that like a soldier in the military, Epaphroditus answered to his general, the Lord Jesus. In 2 Timothy 2.4, Paul writes, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. That was Epaphroditus' attitude. He wanted to please Christ. He was not caught up in other pursuits. His mind was on the battle mission that was laid before him. He was laser-focused in serving the Lord with all his might. Notice that Paul uses the word fellow before worker and soldier. That, that indicates that Epaphroditus served with the same attitude as Paul. And that's important. They were in harmony with one another. They worked side by side. Epaphroditus wasn't doing ministry on his own island. He didn't work independently. He was part of a team. Imagine for the moment if Epaphroditus was quarrelsome. Imagine if he was quick to criticize, a complainer, a gossip in ministry. Paul might have still been able to call him a, a worker and a soldier, but it wouldn't have been a fellow worker or a fellow soldier. The fact is Epaphroditus was a true companion to Paul. If someone was to look at your life and your service in the church, what would they say of you? Would they describe you as someone who's a pleasure to work alongside of? Or do you make tasks more difficult than they need to be? Are you a fellow worker or do you see yourselves as an individual contributor? Listen, friends, we're part of one body. And if we don't serve together for the benefit of each other, then we won't get very far in advancing the gospel. One commentator said, one of the true marks of Christian maturity is the ability to work with others for the cause of Christ. That's a good quote. Think about how you serve alongside other people. Are you a fellow worker? Are you a fellow soldier? In verse 25, Paul also identifies Epaphroditus as their messenger and minister. This leads me to Epaphroditus' second attribute to imitate. He was an available servant. You see, Epaphroditus was sent from the church to bring Paul a gift. Flip over in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4 and look at verses 14 with me. 14 through 18, I'll read aloud. Paul writes, now he's writing to the church, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I receive full payment and more. 
I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent me, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Epaphroditus was a gift bearer sent by the church to minister to Paul. But he was more than just a gift bearer. He was asked to stay and help serve Paul while Paul was in prison. I want you to put yourself in Epaphroditus' shoes for a moment. Here's a man, just a layman. Imagine the church leadership coming up to you and saying, we're going to need you to volunteer to travel 800 miles to Rome in order to take Paul this gift. And by the way, we need you to stay there as long as Paul needs you to minister to him while he's in prison. I'm sure Epaphroditus could have made thousands of excuses. Well, you know, my family, they, they would really miss me. You know, I have this job, and if I leave, that won't go well. Well, I have this really bad pain in my foot. There's no way I can do 800 miles. You know, I, I really don't do that good on boats. Isn't there someone else you can ask? The list could go on and on. The point is, Epaphroditus <laughs> didn't make excuses. He was an available servant. Would you say that people in the church see you that way? Are you an available servant? When something needs to be done at church, is your name one of the ones that comes to mind? Brothers and sisters, it should be. We should be available servants. Next, in verse 26, Paul provides us with Epaphroditus' third attribute worthy to imitate. He was emotionally invested. Paul writes in verse 26, For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Here's the reason we find, this is the answer to why Paul is sending him home. The text says, For he, talking about Epaphroditus, had been longing for you all and has been distressed. So was he homesick? No, if we keep reading. Because you heard he was ill. This is interesting. You see, Epaphroditus is stressed because he knew the Philippian church was stressed about a situation. They were sad, and their sadness brought him sadness. Talk about love within a congregation. Think about it. He is the one who's sick, and yet we don't read anything of self-pity. Rather, we read the exact opposite. It's not that Epaphroditus is stressed about his own situation. He's stressed because they were stressed about his situation. And now Paul sees the need to send him home because Epaphroditus is worried that the Philippians are worried that he's not okay. So how bad was his illness? Verse 27 says, Indeed he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul lets the church know that it was actually really bad. The man almost died from illness, but God spared him. And when God had mercy on Epaphroditus, he had mercy on Paul at the same time. Why? Do you know what would have happened if, if, if Epaphroditus would have died while serving Paul? It would have killed Paul emotionally. Talking about friendship here. Paul deeply loved him, and he loved his church. How do you know Paul loved the church? Look at verse 28. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. Paul was eager to send him home. Because Paul cared about the state of the church. He wanted the church to be glad and rejoice, not be saddened by the news they had heard concerning him. He cared more about the church and his own personal needs. Think about that here. Paul's in prison. He was sent someone to minister to him, and yet he's saying, I'm sending him back 
because Paul cares about people. He loves people. There's no complaining on Paul's part. In verse 29, Paul goes on to inform the Philippian church of the responsibility. They were to receive him in the Lord with all joy and to honor him. Paul says, you're to welcome this man home as a brother and do it joyfully. It's not as if Epaphroditus had failed in his mission and he has to come home with his head hanging low. And that was the exact opposite. They were to honor him. In other words, they were to look up to him. In fact, they're going to do the very same thing we're seeking to do this morning, to emulate his life. He was to be a model Christian for them to follow. This whole section, those verses we just read through, are full of language that just shows how emotionally invested these men were in the lives of others. He was, Epaphroditus was not okay with mere surface-level relationships. Epaphroditus loved these people. He had very close relationships within the church. Again, more questions. Friends, what about you? Are you connected with those in the church? Is the church for you something that happens one hour a week on a Sunday morning? Or are you emotionally invested in the lives of those around you? Is the extent of your relationship marked by the 20-second greeting we do after the first song? Or by a passing wave in the hallway? Who are your closest friends? Are they those inside the church or outside the church? Have you taken advantage of the opportunity to join a life group or to join in in a Sunday school class? Like Epaphroditus, we need to be in, invested in each other. How else are you to carry out the 50 or so commands in the New Testament, the one another passages, to encourage one another, spur one another on, bear one another's burdens, etc.? One commentator insightfully stated, deep and abiding community is formed in the church when we serve together, not just when we sit together once a week in a Bible study or worship service. I believe he's right. How involved are you in the lives of others? Paul now closes with our fourth and final attribute worthy to imitate, which is found in verse 30. Paul writes, For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Epaphroditus was a courageous risk taker. He risked his very own life for the work of Christ. The verb translated risking his life here is it's the only place it's used in the New Testament. But outside the New Testament in the, in the Greek language, it's often associated with gambling. That is to say, Epaphroditus gambled with his own life, carrying out the work of Christ. It's safe to say that this man loved God and he loved people. The church wanted to serve Paul, but they were too far away. So Epaphroditus was doing what the church wanted themselves to do. And he did it despite his severe illness. You know, in our present age, we may or may not be faced with the opportunity to risk our lives for the work of Christ. But I do know if you get involved in serving in ministry, it will cost you something. It most certainly will cost you time. Here we are talking about a man who risks his very own life, and yet the majority of us aren't even willing to give up our leisure time to serve others. For some of you, faithful Christian living might, be, might mean that you're martyred one day for Christ. But for others, faithful Christian living might mean that you pour out your life little by little in practical ways over the long haul. Let me read from you a quote from one commentator that illustrates this principle. To give my life for Christ appears glorious. To pay the ultimate price of martyrdom, I'll do it. 
I'm ready, Lord, to go out in a blaze of glory. We think giving our all to the Lord is like taking a $1,000 bill and laying it on the table. Here's my life, Lord. I'm giving it all. But the reality for most of us is that he sends us to the bank. And he has us cash in $1,000 for quarters. We go through life putting out 25 cents and 50 cents there. Listen to the neighbor kids' troubles instead of saying, get lost. Go to a committee meeting. Give a cup of water to the shaky old man in the nursing home. Usually giving our life to Christ isn't glorious. It's done in those little acts of love, 25 cents at a time. It'd be easy to go out in a flash of glory. It's harder to live the Christian life little by little over the long haul. You know, as I was studying for this sermon on Friday night, I came across this quote and I asked my wife, Shalane, hey, can you read this for me? See if it's helpful. Should I add it in my sermon? Of course, she approved the quote, and I got back to studying. About 30 minutes later, she says, honey, can you help me put the kids to bed? And I said, I, I don't know. I'm, I got so much left to, to work on. She replied, I'm only asking for a quarter. She made the illustration very practical, very fast. And I don't know about you, but the illustration is very helpful. And you know what else is helpful to me? The life of Timothy and Epaphroditus. They are wonderful role models for us this morning. For them, life was about serving the Lord and serving people and cultivating relationships. It was not about possessions or fame. They were just humble servants. And may God give us the grace to follow after their example. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the examples we have in Epaphroditus and Timothy and Apostle Paul and ultimately in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we would be found faithful, people who realize what you've done for us, the great sacrifice that you've made and paid on our behalf, and in return, we would live a life of gratitude, which means that we would have a great desire to serve you in your local church. Father, I pray that each and every one of us would be spurred on this morning to greater service for King Jesus. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen. <laughs>